Welcome to the True Safety Podcast with Apollonia Rockwell, where each week you hear from safety industry experts and leaders discussing safety culture, team development, and the future of the safety industry. If you are looking for help with your safety program or have questions, head to truesafetyservices.com slash podcast. Let's get started. All right. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening in. I am your host, Apollonia Rockwell, uh, CEO, founder of True Safety here out of Colorado. And I am so excited to talk to you with uh, a special guest, somebody that I'm really, really interested to dig more into his story. But today we have uh, Paul Hensel. And uh, uh, Paul is TEDx speaker and author of Crushed Alive, a true story of of a journey from tragedy to triumph. And before we even get into it, Paul, how are you doing this morning? Doing great. Thanks very much for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I just, well, one, I want to just get into it, but um, I mean, we'll just, we'll kind of back into it all. But I mean, tell the audience just a little bit about your story, you know, take us from the beginning. I know you worked at a mill at the time um, of, you know, of this incident, of, of the beginning of the story that you're sharing with the world. And, but I want to kind of get, I want to go back before that. Um, so just, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So um, do you want me to talk about at the time of my accident or before that? Yeah, just a little bit before that. So, I mean, how long, you know, were you always, were you working in that industry for quite some time um, before the incident or was it right out of... Yeah, it was was probably around um, my 20th year. I kind of started working in the lumber industry right out of high school. Okay. Um, Never thought I would uh, like go to college or anything like that. Yeah. Um, money, Money paid well. And uh, like I, I moved up um, fairly quickly in the places I was at, like with lumber grading and that uh, certification. I did real well in that, and yeah. then um, kind of moving up, up the ranks to like foreman and supervisor and stuff like yeah. that. So all right, and we'll- so then you were rewarded by by production. You said you moved up quick, so I mean, you must have just been. Must have been quick and must have been a fast learner and did whatever you were told for the most part, or what was it like? Yeah, um, it just uh, because of my lumber grading, I, I was I was kind of able to um, to supervise the different mills um, at at this at this one place. That's kind of why why they moved me up to supervisor, just with my kind of grading expertise. Um, how how I was with customers. Um, so I was the, the youngest at the time to be promoted kind of in that rank. Um, and, uh, that, that particular day was a little over 12 years ago. Okay. All right. And, uh, it was, um, we, we were on a new cut, so we had a new customer Mm -hmm. and, uh, it was, it was just extremely fast and busy fastest cut we do in in a lumber mill so um so i was super supervisor at at that time and Mm -hmm. things were going quickly that day 
And how long and, again have um, you had been at the mill at this time or at that company? How long had you been there? Uh, probably close to 10 years. At, in, okay. At, at the company point. and in the industry in total, it was around 10 years at this time. Uh, tw 20 in the 20. industry. Okay. 10, 10 at that particular place. Okay. All right. So um, now um, the, the, what the wood we were cutting that day is called, they're called cans. So they're 14 inches thick. They're like 21 inches wide and each piece weighs at least a thousand pounds. So it's like um, taking the round parts off of a log. Mm -hmm. So that's, okay. that's what we were cutting. So it's like you're skimming the round part off and you're getting that wood out as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Now, one of these pieces ended up um, jamming up on its edge against a large steel beam came, in yeah. between the different layers where these big pieces of wood came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, um, I made the decision to crawl into this tight, confined space to manually free up this cant that was stuck on edge. And uh, so I threw, I pulled the knife switches down. Yeah. Um, I didn't put, didn't put my lock on yeah. and just jumped in. And as soon as that log was freed, mm -hmm. um, the machine started mm -hmm. and I was being crushed alive by 12,000 pounds of wood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I could hear my body cracking, mm -hmm. gurgling and crunching. It felt like my head was going to explode. There was so much pressure. Mm -hmm. And I thought, if this doesn't stop, I'm going to die. Absolutely. I yeah. then blacked out. Now, I was not breathing and without oxygen for about 12 minutes. That's unbelievable. Now, my coworkers uh, had to perform miraculous feats of strength just to rescue me. Yeah. from that machine in that time frame. Yeah, yeah. And uh after after around those 12 minutes, um was pulled out every every single person thought I was dead. Yeah. And uh then right before they were about to perform CPR, um miraculously I started breathing. Now I do want to mention uh, the main the main safety superintendent at that mill who mm -hmm. he couldn't go on after seeing me, so he couldn't even do his job. So luckily, uh, one of my heroes at industrial first aid mm -hmm. who was there helping get me out, and he took over, and he was fantastic. So good thing there was someone else there and um yeah i just i just remember um like how how kind and uh and and thoughtful he was and i remember him asking if um like can you move your fingers and toes and yeah. i i could so i thought okay um i'm not paralyzed so this is good yeah i I, I would have been airlifted to the hospital if I wasn't responsive. Mm -hmm. So then they, um, they rushed me to the hospital by ambulance. Mm -hmm. And that ambulance ride, I remember, was horrific. 
because I could feel every vibration and bump uh, through my spine. Um, I remember there was, uh, there was a lot of confusion in the ambulance. They couldn't find a consistent pulse on me anywhere. So there was conversations back and forth between the two paramedics of, of kind of what was happening. I, I was confused. I had no yeah. idea what was happening. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And um, we, when, when I get to the hospital, um, again, like just a lot of confusion and panic, um, a lot of different people moving around and I, I couldn't see at the time because I didn't have my classes, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember asking like, okay, what, what exactly is up? Like what's wrong with me? Yeah. What and happened? I was, told, yeah, yeah. uh, well, without a shadow of a doubt, your clavicle, uh, is shattered. Your ribs are shattered. Um, probably your lungs punctured. Uh, you, you have, have a brain injury. Um, can't even begin to tell you about your back or your spine until they do a proper CT, but we're mainly concerned about your organs. Yeah. And so, um, at that time, my organs were failing, which I had no idea about um, crush syndrome, what that does to your body, um, you know, the sepsis that occurs and stuff like that. So I'm in the hospital. That's happening. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, something has to change because, again, I really thought I was I was going to die. Yeah, of course. Then I was uh, touched by an angel, and that was my wife. I was just about to ask, what family, what was the situation at this time? So they're they're calling your wife. What in the world? I mean, now she can talk about this incident, but what, what was she told? What was that initial phone call? Who called her? Was it... Was this one of your coworkers who ends up getting in touch with her? And what did they initially say? Yeah. Um, yeah. And her story is very, very different from mine, but oh, um, she was called by uh, the superintendent of our mill. Okay. Um, and he, he basically said, Paul's been in, in a very serious accident and you have to get to the hospital now. Mm-hmm. And um, there, there wasn't, it it was from what I was told, it, it was pretty vague. Yeah. So he wouldn't like, you know, answer the questions around like how serious is he going to make it? It was right. just, you, you just kind of kept repeated it um, that you have to come to the hospital now. And his, his tone was very, um, you know, kind of somber mm-hmm. and, and quiet, if I will, he even offered to, um, pick up my wife and and drive her. Of course, and yeah. I remember her thinking, "No, I'm not going to wait for someone to pick me up. I'll just I'm drive there, there myself." So that I mean, I just I could only imagine. My husband also works in an industrial um, construction, oil and gas type of company, and I mean, me receiving that phone call, I. I can't imagine. And so she receives that phone call. She gets no answers, no details. And I understand that 
that coworker who called her probably didn't have the answers himself. And so she's, you know, I can't freaking out is not even, you know, that's an understatement. Yeah. So her, her mind is blank. She's in, she's in shock. She's driving to the hospital. What happens? She, she finally rushes through everyone to see you. Yeah. And she had, there was quite the ordeal with her getting there. I remember um, her saying that, like on the way she would just repeat to herself, I'm not going to lose my best yeah. friend today. Yeah. But at that time it was uh, 2010 we live in Vancouver and the Olympics were going on at that point. So um, the, the uh, torch relay was happening yeah. in the city. So yeah. I know that uh, kind of it made things complicated for the ambulance to get to the hospital, but for my wife, it was just like, I don't know, like, a you know, a detour after detour, um, you know, finally getting to the hospital, but being kind of told uh, conflicting things of where I was. Of so it was just unbelievable for her to finally get there. I can imagine. And, um, but she came at the most perfect time. And... I just, she, she touched me. She couldn't um, like recognize me cause I was all like kind of crushed, disfigured, just bruised, bloody, everything else. But um, I just remember that touch yeah. just kind of caught me. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm not alone now. Yeah. So oh my gosh. I can, oh gosh. I can move on. And uh, now also that day, it was my son's 16th birthday. So, just about to ask, did you have any kiddos at this time? So just one? Uh, no, two. Two. Uh, All right. Daughter, so a Okay. Older daughter. And uh, I think she was maybe around, how old was she? Uh, probably 20. Okay. And her son was 16. So, okay. and I know when they when they arrived at the hospital, it was, it was just kind of pretty, pretty tough seeing me as my, like both my eyes were completely filled with blood. And I had, um, I had what they call patiki and it's that, that extreme, it's like extreme bruising and uh, like all your kind of vessels pop underneath your skin. So it was um, my my whole face, upper body was like the deepest purple, mm -hmm. um, like red spots, brown. And um, I found out later that that severity of patiki that they call it is usually found postmortem in strangulation victims. So it was like it was just a, probably about as worse um as, as bad as you can get. And so I did, I had no idea at that time what I looked like. It was just sure. seeing the reaction of people when they came in to see me. Okay. And so your kids get there, your wife is there. And then yeah. are you immediately heading into surgery? I mean, I can only imagine the initial surgeries, but then, then we'll get into the journey after yeah, um, there were now not to say I didn't 
I didn't need any at the time, but I didn't go through any, any surgeries. So, um, there, it was, uh, again, there was kind of like a lot of confusion among, um, doctors, nurses, kind of, you know, what was happening. It's a complicated um, injury, complicated incident. Yeah. But, Um, um, but, um, you know, it, it, um, I, I, I was able to make it out, um, like, you know, fortunately. Um, and so there's now there's a lot of invisible injuries I do have. Oh, yeah. Let's um, talk about that. Yeah. So I have uh, a permanent brain injury and cognitive disorder. Mm -hmm. So I I kind of explain it's like having a concussion that doesn't go away. So I have um, uh, throat damage, lung damage, uh, quite quite bad spine damage, shoulder damage, Mm -hmm. uh, nerve damage, all kind of upper body, Mm -hmm. right side mainly. And of course, also uh, PTSD. Yeah from that yes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh so one uh there's there's things i do now like kind of physical modalities that that i still have to do this time later like um i see a manipulative physiotherapist that specializes in concussions um he's been great so i i see him but Mm -hmm. i get uh 70 to 90 injections in my head spine and shoulder and my back every four months. So like uh, Botox to help with uh, headaches, migraines, and facet block injections and a number of other things for, for my spine and nerve damage. So, and this is, this is 12 years later, still the rehab, the, the intensive care and the everlasting injuries that I can, yes, mentally and physically. So let's talk about both. So mentally afterwards, let's say it's a, you know, a couple months after the incident, what is, what is primarily going through your mind at this time? Because you're, you're, I'm going to assume your home and the journey to recovery is, I mean, barely beginning even months after six months, 12 months afterwards. And so what was that like mentally? What was yeah. Um, so right, right, right afterwards, um, like, you know, there was like small improvements, but before this, like I, I was, like I, I was completely healthy. I, I hadn't even, you know, broken a bone in my life, um, yeah. you know, except a finger, like playing baseball or yeah. whatever else. So that's kind of the extent of, of that. I, I rarely got sick. So I was kind of naive to exactly what was going on. And, and yeah. um, I, I, I remember at times thinking, well, you know, probably, probably give me like three to six months and I'll be fine. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of not the case. It's, yeah. um, you, you, there, there were so many different complications. It was kind of at the time dealing with, you know, what was the most important one or what are your, um, 
major symptoms around this and we'll kind of look at at that right Mm -hmm. and then kind of finding out that um no uh a lot of the things that you have you're gonna end up dealing with um with you know for the rest of your life and that's Mm -hmm. that's really really hard to deal with kind Mm -hmm. of mentally like oh okay um yeah so that that was that was really tough but um i do want to share uh one thing that helped me probably the most out of like you know mindset strategies physical modalities was sharing my story yeah okay and so everybody at first everybody wanted to you know um like I, I coach football. I was an announcer at my son's high school with football. And so uh, a lot of the kids' parents would come by and, you know, ask me how I was doing, but they all wanted to, how did you survive this? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, what happened? And so I'm kind of constantly sharing my story. And at mm-hmm. first that was really hard okay. uh, kind of yeah. going through that. I remember just feeling like exhausted. I would yeah. share with people. And it it was kind of like, wow, it just feels like I got hit by a truck. Um, um, But it got better and, and easier. And, you know, that, that kind of turns like more healing and therapeutic working through parts of my story. But like my, my wife and, and kids were fantastic. I, I, I said, there's no way I'd be here if it wasn't for my wife and her yeah. support. Um, yeah. And just around like um, the number of like pills and narcotics I had to be on at first. Yeah. But, and not knowing anything about that, but her, mm-hmm. you know, nicely um, kind of telling me that, you know, a lot of these things are highly addictive. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. kind of like be careful. And um, I, yeah, I would not be here if it, if it wasn't for her. And we, That's we awesome. both made um, a decision from the beginning to like focus on the positive aspects of my okay. story. Okay. And, yeah. and that helped. So, um, you know, kind of fast forward, like s- six years after that, I went back to school, uh, finished my business degree, which was extremely hard. I wrote, yeah. I wrote my book, Crushed Alive, right after that. Okay. And um, my wife was running various uh, networking events. She had okay. um, quite a large chapter at the time. And so I would kind of start telling my story, um, you know, just among family, friends, like smaller networking meetings. Yeah. And then just through word of mouth, um, and people being inspired by the story and kind of how I came through that. It just kind of turned into larger and larger um, events. Um, Did a, did a Ted talk um, the the year or two after I wrote my book. What was Um, that experience like? Oh my gosh. That I, I still remember that was probably one of the, the most exciting uh, experiences like obviously the the yeah. the nervousness um mm-hmm. you know at like going through like at the time doing a TED talk but just um 
I I was the only one who got a standing ovation at the oh end, which gosh. was just unbelievable. But it was yes. it was just awesome um, ha- having that experience going going through that. It was yes. like a thrill. Yeah. Um, Congratulations. That is, I mean, that you. is just such a huge accomplishment. Wow. Yeah. And then um, from there, just being invited to larger and larger events. And I've spoken at a number of uh, large international conferences. So what are some know, of the things that, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, that's, that's, that's fine. Go ahead. Just with, you know, after um, TEDx and, and, the networking events, just sharing your story. What is, what are the most common questions that you get asked and what are your responses to those? I mean, I know mine, like my number one question is, you know, what, what was, what was one of the things that you did like mentally to get through such a tough time? You know, were there any techniques? Was there any daily practices to help get you through? But other than that, what are, what are, what were some of the main questions that people have for you? It, that that is that is uh one of the main ones okay. and so i from from the beginning um i used positive affirmations yeah so i would kind of post a few on my mirror every morning um you know when i got up so i'd you know read some of my my favorite positive affirmations um That's great. and i would i remember um, allowing myself when I was going through rough times to have that time period, but then you can't, you can't stay in this. You can't stay allowing in yourself that. to feel it, which I like yeah. that. I really like that. Allowing yourself to feel all the emotions and to validate your emotions with yourself, but then not allowing yourself to stay in that space and get moving, get yeah. out. And I, Part of that was was realizing I I felt I was kind of burdened enough with my wife and family, like mm-hmm. everything, like and like her life changed, like yeah. you know, kind of having to drive me to appointments and and everything else, and mm-hmm. like taking care of me mm-hmm. more on a regular basis, and um, you know, mentally what she was going through. And just um, realizing I didn't want to be any more of a burden than I probably already was. So it's kind of getting out of that. And I remember, um, you know, when when I could, feeling this way was, all right, tomorrow or today wasn't as good as I thought. Tomorrow would be better. And I would just keep telling myself that. And um um, kind of like letting myself, uh, like take small steps and realizing like that's still progress, understanding that, okay, this Mm -hmm. isn't going to be, um, a quick, a quick heal or, or whatever else. So I, I did what I could do until I could do more. I just remember my wife, you know, started taking me on short walks and then those got longer and, um, but just, um, just the, the way she was, um, and helping me be positive and focusing on, on the positive aspects of my story and then sharing that with others was really helpful. 
and therapeutic. It kind of helped me realize that, uh, that this definitely isn't the end. It's the beginning. Mm. So when I changed, when I changed my story, I changed my life. When you change your story, you changed your life. I think that that's so powerful there. And I think that obviously not a lot of people can relate to experiencing a workplace accident, but a lot of people can relate to experiencing, um, depression, a, a, maybe a stale moment in life, a really down time in life. I think that that happens more frequently than anybody likes to admit, just experiencing a rut, feeling hopelessness and just a stuck feeling. And, you know, some of the, the tactical things that you just shared with the audience are brilliant. You know, number one, posting your positive affirmations and making them visual. I mean, it's one thing to have somebody tell you, well, think good thoughts. And it's like, well, what the heck does that even mean? But if you actually get those positive affirmations written somewhere in your bathroom and you're on your mirror in your bedroom in your house somewhere, but something visual to just help remind you any time that you pass that place. Okay. You know, these are, you know, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm alive. I'm, I'm gifted. Um, you know, it stays another day. And then, Also, I love what you said there at the end is your perspective on the story, on your story changed. And because you could absolutely have every right in the world to have a different perspective of that story of a, you know, woe is me, a victim mentality, would you have every right? I mean, you almost lost your life at your, at your workplace. And so having a different perspective, having, creating your own story about the events that happened to you changed everything. And so a lot of people can relate to, Hey, something really bad happened to me, but you know what, if I look at it a little bit different, and if I think maybe this happened for me and not to me, then I have some hope that this is just the beginning for me. And I think that that's so powerful. I know that every single person in the audience listening today can relate to that. And I just, you know, it is, it is really inspiring that you, that you were able to take tragedy to triumph and move forward to such an event. And, you know, one thing, um, you might not get asked. I was asking what are some of the questions that you get from a safety professional? Uh, you might not get asked this a lot, but you know, one thing just kind of wrapping, wrapping up this conversation. One thing that stood out to me is, um, no one stopped you when you jumped in that piece of equipment, you know, to unclog it. Am I right? I guess I'm asking, I mean, nobody, yes, it was, yes, you made a, a rash decision. And yeah. we all make mistakes, but no one around your, every one of your coworkers knew what you were doing was wrong. You know, nobody was surprised. And so nobody stopped you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's um, one thing b- being a safety podcast or you know, not really a safety podcast, but you know, we talk about safety a lot is that it's not just the person that's being injured and the the person that got into an an incident, it's also a culture of safety where the people around you, we have to become your brother's keeper. We have to be somebody that's looking out to the next person because I've experienced a ton of working on a ton of incident investigations with near death um, incidents and 
every single time, every single time the, the, the team member involved, the human involved was like, I knew what I was doing was wrong. You know, it was just a rash decision. I knew, but also interviewing everyone around them, they were like, they're just as they're just as responsible because and the, the level of guilt that those team members working alongside them said, I knew what that person was doing was wrong. And I sat back and I let it happen. And so I yeah. think that's the magic. That's something that we could take away as as workers is, you know, we need to stand up, not just for ourselves. But we need to stand up for the person we're, ne- we're working next to, too, and make sure yeah, that sure. they're safe. I mean, I don't. And I, I think having, you know, having having open discussions, but really um, bring storytelling into this because oh, it's yeah. stories are going to connect you in ways um, that, you know, that a manual cannot. Absolutely. And really, like in my experience, you know, not being, you know, safety expert or professional, but um, it's most accidents I saw was. Um, you know, kind of taking a shortcut. So I would tell people, um, absolutely don't. I, you know, I was one of those people who, you know, never got into an accident thinking, no, I'm safe. Everything's good. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Like one time I took a shortcut, but that can change your whole life or end it in, in a split second. So I would, I would just say, don't, don't take shortcuts. Like, absolutely. But I think it's, um, it's sharing stories like this that, yes. that are going to reach people that, that other ways can't, that might break through, um, you know, like some of that culture talking to, to people who have, who have done it, been there, who maybe, you know, was like me before. Oh, I've, I've, I've avoided accidents. Okay. Mm-hmm. How, how did you, but, um, you know, what do you, have you ever done anything that kind of cut it close or, you know, those kind of conversations or mm-hmm. speaking to people who have had accidents or what, mm-hmm. what could you, could you have done differently? That kind of thing. And bringing those conversations in and really kind of opening it up. Um, Cause yeah. like stories activate seven areas of your brain. And so, you, you know, it's not like just reading a manual or someone telling you something where the language processing parts are activated. It's every other area of your brain that you I, would use uh, when experiencing the events of the story yourself. And mm-hmm. um, uh, like, you know, research has shown that stories are the most effective in um, in if you want to inspire someone to make a, ch- a true change in themselves. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. uh, use storytelling. So I completely, completely agree with you. And especially yeah. coming from the safety side where I know that having a safety meeting, talking about the OSHA regulations on the PowerPoint isn't going to cut okay. it. Like no one is yeah. listening to that. No one can connect. And I, I completely agree with you. And studies do show that when we hear a story all right, gosh, thank gosh. Now I can wake up and I can actually engage in what this person is telling me. And, and your story, Paul, you're exactly right. Is that that's the power in today's message is that this will hopefully reach just one person that, 
you know, does have, will think twice, right? Because I will think yeah. twice about taking a shortcut on the job because that is what it's about. You could tell every, you know, tell people until you're blue in the face, lock out, tag out, lock out, tag out, lock out, tag out. But hearing your story might be what they needed to hear to also find themselves in the same situation, you know, do a quick, quick maintenance with, you know, without locking out. And then, but just hearing that might, might make somebody think twice. And that's, that's all, that's all your story needed was to impact one person to save a life. So I just, I'm so inspired Paul by your story and your strength to, to persevere and to share your story, um, to help others and to help inspire others. So you are up to big things. And I just, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you. Oh, no, no problem. I, I appreciate it. If I could just kind of end, um, I have a favorite quote. So if anybody's listening, um, yeah. if, if you believe it'll work out, you'll see opportunities. If you believe it won't, you'll see obstacles. And that kind of helped me through my situation. So if anybody's like going through something, realize mm-hmm. um, um, your your story can help. Embrace it. Embrace the positive aspects. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, you can turn things around. Don't yeah. take shortcuts. And yeah. if I can do it, I went from an injured mill worker to an international speaker. So you can do it, too. Oh my gosh, Paul, thank you so much. You've left the audience on such a beautiful note there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone, Paul's information will be linked um, on how to contact him, how to book him, how to reach him will be in the notes of this podcast. And, um, or if you're watching on YouTube, wherever you're watching or listening, Paul's contact information will be linked below. So thank you so much for listening. Yeah, it, there's, um, if you could put inspiring.show, okay. that's the one link that, that people can, um, see our podcast, but they can also get a free downloaded copy of my book, Crushed Alive. So, Fantastic. um, okay. any listener can do that. So it's all right there at inspiring.show. Perfect. Awesome. All righty, guys. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the True Safety Podcast with Apollonia Rockwell. If you are looking to save time and money with your safety program this year, we'd love to hear from you. Head to truesafetyservices.com slash podcast to schedule a free call with our team where we will help you identify the biggest opportunities for growth in your company and safety program and we'll connect you with the right resources to help you grow. Again, that is truesafetyservices.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you next week. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you know anyone who needs to hear this episode today, click the share button and send them this episode. 